Hey, hello everyone and welcome to the PE Talks Africa podcast, a podcast by the African Private Capital Association. Today we are going to be speaking with Geraldine Mupandanyama, founder and managing partner of Darina Ventures, to discuss their strategy as an impact-focused fund and the importance of investing in undeserved founders, including women entrepreneurs, and diving into the who, why, and how, and the consequences of inaction. So hi, Geraldine, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Patricia, uh, thank you very much for having me, me here today. Um, I'm excited to be speaking to you. So uh, Geraldine, could you please introduce yourself and tell us about your role at Darina Ventures? All right. Um, so I'm a I'm Zimbabwean-based uh, uh, investment manager, um, and I am the managing partner of uh, Darena Ventures, which is a pre-seed to seed-stage uh, VC fund for climate tech uh, startups in uh, underserved sub-Saharan African countries. Great. And can you explain what being an impact-focused fund means to you, and why Darena Ventures chooses this approach in its investment strategy? Right, Pesha, we in in our view, um, an impact-focused uh, fund invests uh, with the intention to generate uh, positive, uh, measurable, um, social and environmental impact alongside a uh, financial return. So, how impact funds differ from other funds is that they often provide patient capital, and they are not in existence only for the financial return but they actually intentionally avoid financial success at the expense of society and, and the environment. Now, Darena Ventures chose this approach because we believe in growing economies without harming the environment. We also really value Africa's vast natural resources and strongly believe that the continent does not have to develop vibrant economies at the expense of its natural resources. Secondly, we chose the strategy because we believe there is not enough funding going into the sector that we invest in. Thank you. Um, that's very interesting. And I know investing in undeserved founders is a key element of your investment strategy. And it's something that you are very passionate about. So could you share some of uh, some insights into who these founders are and what criteria or characteristics do you look for when identifying these founders? That's, that's very correct, Patricia. This, this is uh, an area that I, I feel very strongly towards. Um, and we define underserved founders as founders who typically do not have adequate access to funding due to their gender or geographic location, so such as women and local entrepreneurs, and also founders in countries that are not one of the big three in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. In terms of uh, what we look for, we definitely inevitably favor women entrepreneurs um, who we feel are just not getting enough funding. And then secondly, we prioritize founders who originate from the countries um, in which their business operates in versus uh, found foreign founders who have set up their business in an underserved country. And then thirdly, we prioritize founders who are in geographic locations that are not often founded, uh, funded, I mean, because their startup ecosystem is nascent, but then they exhibit lots of potential to scale outside of their um, small markets. So we've kind of covered the who uh, these founders are, 
The why is a critical aspect of impact investing. What motivates Darina Ventures to prioritize investments in these underserved communities and founders? And what potential societal and economic benefits do you see in doing so? Okay. We, we, we have been advising and mentoring founders in countries like uh, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Ghana, Uganda, Zambia, and the DRC for some time. And we've seen the huge investment opportunities in these uh, countries. Um, additionally, we've also worked with uh, resilient, committed, and focused and very innovative women uh, entrepreneurs across Sub-Saharan Africa. We are, who are running uh, very promising uh, businesses, but a lot of them have remained small and unknown simply because they just can't get the funding. We, we also believe that um, most successful, the most successful businesses of the future are those that are solving real problems in a sustainable manner. These businesses that we have been supporting are addressing pressing challenges that uh, need urgent action, you know, such as food, transport, and energy supply, because they have identified the gaps in these sectors and they've also gone on to devise locally made solutions um, to address these uh, the, the gaps. Ironically, though, I must state that um, the reasons why some of these businesses operate is not really because they want to address the climate change uh, crisis, <laughs> but in, in, in fact, they do. It's not their core business, but they, they actually are addressing um, the challenge. Um, they may not be offering a solution to reduce carbon emissions, but their businesses help mitigate um, and also adapt to the effects of climate change. I personally believe that the best people to solve the adaptation to and mitigation of the climate change crisis on the African continent are the people who are experiencing its negative effects. Now, because these businesses are solving real consumer problems and pain points that have the potential to grow and to generate the necessary returns uh, on investments for their investors, they, they, they stand um, a very high chance of succeeding. Um, the future is very bright for them. And also because um, these businesses are locally made by locals who understand their markets from first-hand experience, they have a much, much higher rate uh, of success than businesses that are launched from abroad uh, using models that have worked abroad but won't necessarily work um, in, in, in the African markets. Thanks, Geraldine. Um, I definitely agree with you on the aspect of solving real problems, especially now when climate change is so real. Um, so just transitioning onto the how of your strategy, could you elaborate on the methods and approaches you employ to support and empower the underserved founders uh, you invest in? Are there any success stories or specific initiatives that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, sure. Um... You know, since we are a pre-seed to seed stage fund, we, we like to build a strong pipeline of uh, startups um, that are at an early stage of their business and then nurture their growth as well as our relationship with them before we actually start investing in them. So what we have done is we, 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 we have an advisory firm um, that provides one-on-one 
advisory support to founders who, who we then also connect with mentors from across the, the globe to help them to define their business strategies. Um, we also offer pre-accelerated programs for women entrepreneurs to help them to formalize their businesses. Once we have invested in these uh, in, in startups, our own team, our internal team now really works very closely um, with the, the startups in our portfolio um, to support them in areas such as uh, operational improvement, financial engineering, ESG principles, risk management, their strategy and, and their growth. So we actually continue to push them and to support them and to help them to ensure that we we, we get a return on our investments and we actually also minimize um, any any crazy losses um, in, in these sectors. Now, in terms of uh, initiatives that we, we, we are proud of, I mean, we recently um, supported a group of over 60 women entrepreneurs, uh, mainly coming out of um, Zimbabwe, but we opened up our, our pre-accelerator program to women in surrounding countries. Um, and we ran a, a six-week program with them and just brought in experts from mainly from across the African continent um, to just help them to formalize their businesses. And we are, we are now working on taking them to the next level where they can actually um, go through an accelerator program. Um, and then, you know, we then introduce to them to other investors other than ourselves that they can pitch to. But we are also proud of our work um, in the startup ecosystem in Zimbabwe, um, based on, you know, we're proud of one particular startup in Zimbabwe that actually managed to raise uh, $1 million piece of funding earlier, earlier on this year. Oh, so wow. those are some of just a few of the, of the activities that we are quite proud of. And we've, we've, we've done this work and we've proved that there is actually something to, to talk about here. That's so interesting. Is there a place perhaps on your website where, where we can keep up with uh, the progress of the women on your accelerated programs? Um, we're actually working on updating our website uh, with, with some of the success stories. What we currently just have on the website is the, the model uh, itself, um, but we haven't put, it, put, put up stories yet. We're working on that. Once we have it, we will share that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, please do share it with us. So lastly, we'd like to uh, discuss the consequences of inaction. Um, we've kind of talked about um, the work we're doing um, towards supporting underserved founders. Um, so what, what do you believe are the potential risks uh, or missed opportunities for both the investment community and society at large if more funds don't adopt an impact-focused approach and continue to neglect underserved founders? Yeah, you know, sadly, um, founders from underserved countries often resort to migrating to one of the big four on the continent because that's where the funding is, right? Mm -hmm. um, yet, if funding is available, they can launch their businesses in their own country and then they can go into other markets. Um, I, I personally believe that some of the migration and societal challenges on the continent will be addressed when entrepreneurs in the underserved countries also receive the necessary support. And um, I also strongly believe that, you know, the African continent is as strong as the weakest country on the continent. And the only way Africa can rise to uh, prominence 
is if all countries on the continent rise and the aren't countries that are left behind. You know, the underserved markets are countries are actually markets for the bigger uh, countries. There is no reason why a successful fintech company in, say, in Nigeria cannot launch mm-hmm. um, its business in, in a country uh, like, like Uganda because the need is there. But what I also want to really dwell on, uh, Pesha, is um, the opportunities that are there for investors in the underserved um, countries that they, they are missing out on unless you know, they, they start looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the, of the companies that are, are launched in, in underserved countries do not typically incur the huge operating costs uh, that businesses in, in more prominent countries uh, incur. So basically what it means is there's a low cost of capital. If we look at um, things like remuneration, for example, we look at things like rental costs, in a country like uh, like Zimbabwe, I'll speak mainly about Zimbabwe because that's where I'm based. Um, we, our remuneration is not as huge; it's not as high as the remuneration in, say, Nigeria. Um, and then, you know, the founders in these underserved countries have a, a, a huge hunger for for growth capital. They don't have a mentality of grow at any cost. Um, you know, they're not looking for grow at any cost capital. They want, they, they, they want a certain flavor of investment, uh, a partner to match their sweat equity. And, and they, they are acute, they are very much aware of what they don't know. And they seek the operational expertise and advice. So they are just like sponges that are, are ready to soak in mm-hmm. um, whatever you, you're going to, to impart on them. Um, and, and, you know, it's known... Um, that uh, you know, entrepreneurs who don't have a "I know it all" mentality um, actually perform better. And then another important factor is um, they have a build-first mentality. So they they prioritize building their business before they actually start um, raising any money. So why we call ourselves the pre-seed to seed stage fund is because. We're finding that the promising startups that we have um, come across have already started generating revenue. Some of them are actually profitable. Mm. Um, so, you know, they are a safer haven, in my view, for an investor to actually put their money because to them, they, they have this mentality that a business is sustainable if it is generating revenue, if it is profitable. Um, so they take the responsibility of, of, of having outside uh, growth capital uh, or investment money very seriously. They are not just in it to, to grow from just raising the next round, but they can actually offer opportunities for, for exponential growth and sustainable growth. And then lastly, what I, what I also want to highlight there um, is in most cases, um, their valuations reflect reality. Um, you know, the, the innovative companies in under underserved markets are realistic about their valuations. They may not always know how, how best to, you know, to value their business, but when you engage them in conversation about their valuation, you can actually convince them easier, in my view, about the correct way to value their business if they're in the case event that they've made an error. Mm. So, so there's a huge opportunity to invest and to help these these um, young, driven companies to, to grow. 
and there's a huge opportunity to actually minimize um, loss in investments in, in these sectors. So um, you were just talking about the um, kind of opportunities to invest. So if you don't mind me just adding on an extra question, um, what do you think are the main challenges for these founders in raising the capital they need? And what what is causing the investors to hesitate? Okay, so, so there are a number of factors. Um, I think that the main factor is, you know, earlier on I mentioned that these are nascent markets, right? Um, there's a, a lot of it also has to do with perception, the perception of, uh, of investors. These are countries that uh, have so small markets in terms of numbers of population. There's a, a general trend in the investment uh, world to want to invest in a country that has a large population. Um, because the expectation of the investors is that they are going to invest in a, in a country where there is a readily available market in terms of the buyers, the consumers of this product. They overlook the fact that um, even if your existing population is not that huge, you have the potential to actually scale up in your, into your neighboring country. So a lot of it has to do with, uh, with perception. Um, I think also to a large extent, it also has to do with some of the founders not putting them, themselves forward, which is the reason why we, we decided to actively be involved in building and growing the startup ecosystem mm. and helping founders to formalize their businesses and then educating them about the, the fundraising uh, opportunities that are available to them. To them. So in countries that are small, like uh, like uh, Zimbabwe, like neighboring Zambia, and other smaller countries like that, they generally, the founders generally do not even have full awareness of investment opportunities that are available to them. They are actually not even aware that they are foreign investors who are interested. So, mm-hmm. so that's why it's, it's, it's kind of like an information gap from both sides, the side of the founders, as well as the side of the investors. Thanks, Geraldine. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast and hearing your perspective. Thank you very much, uh, Peja. It has really been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you to our audience for listening too. If you'd like to learn more about Darina Ventures, I will be adding a link to their website uh, and their social media in the description. And if you enjoyed listening, please do feel free to check out our other episodes uh, and I'll see you there.